Welcome to Sustainable 62. 62. Welcome, welcome you to Sustainable 62. You're spectacularly bad at this. You really, it's really been a long day. We are your friendly little environment podcast, all about people and the planet. And why can't we just all take it a little bit less seriously sometimes? And what have we got coming up this week? Oh, well, Dave, we are going to be talking about an exciting. By which I mean terrifying new report, which tells us all about the state of nature and and land, you know, the, the land and stuff.、Um, and we're also going to be talking about that horrible, horrible company called Exxon, who have been going in to see the government in the hope that there won't be any electric cars, <laughs> land and hope.、Uh, and we're also going to be talking about well, Dave's got a bet to honour. And that is going to just be glorious. So we're going to be talking about <laughs> land, hope, and glory. Okay, it's <laughs> spectacular. The listeners really have no idea how long it takes you to come up with that. It is that one was worth it. Well done. <laughs> just the usual disclaimer: we do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. So, if you have any problem with any of the things we talk about, don't come over all pomp and circumstance. Take it up with us, and not with anyone that we work for. Yes. Okay. Encore. So, sustainable of the week. This is the section every single week where we talk about some of the egregious eco guff that has been spouted by nincompoops who want to sound greener than they are. Who are the nincompoops this week, Dave? And what have they spouted? Well. There have been a great deal of nincompoops about nincompoops in tractors with flat caps, nincompoops sitting on tires shouting "Get off my land!" Uh, farmers, they're the nincompoops, or more specifically, the president or the vice president of a thing called the NFU, the National Farmers Union. But bef- oh, hang on, Dave, I've got a thing to say about them because、uh, it's confusing. Right? They sound like a union of farmers, like. National the National Union Farmers Farm. Union,、mm. yes, but they're not really, are they? Because it's like they're more, as I understand it, a bunch of very, very wealthy landowners、Ooh. who sort of pretend that they stand up for farmers, but I don't think all the farmers love them, do they? Well, look, you tell you what, Al. Before we go and hit the NFU with the babble stick, should we explain what the blinking egg is going on? Oh, okay, yeah. What the blinking egg is going on? Well, I don't know why you're asking me this because you just showed me very proudly your big piece of paper with all your notes, notes on it. Page. <laughs> You've prepared. I've got、like. notes. I've got facts written down. I've got a fact here. I put a little star next to. You know what that says? Not all farmers are bastards. That's what that says. <laughs> Amazing.、Yeah. Well, this is the news this week.、Um, that's the RSPB. 
uh, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, who we've talked about a bit, and for whom Amy Liptrot went and worked when she was counting corncrakes. See episode 60... 60. 60. Yep. 6060. Uh, they are among a bunch of groups who have put out this report, which I think comes out every year, called the State of Nature Report. And the state is, well, it's in a state, basically, yeah. isn't it? It's in a right old state. Yeah, so the, it looks at um, all of the wildlife in the UK and other bits of the, of, of, of the British, whatever, like the stuff we own in the middle of nowhere, like the Pitcairn Islands, which we talked about over a year ago now. Go back and find that episode because I can't remember which one it is. Um, and it finally got you. Yeah, that's it. Finally, defeated. we've been doing this long <laughs> enough that you can't remember the intrinsic detail of every single episode. I know, defeated. And it, uh, it's got loads of... It's, it's massive undertaking this. I'm not sure they do do it every year, old because it's massive. And what they've got is they've got volunteers out on the ground all around the country counting stuff, basically. Counting species, like going in fields and like from the very tip top up in Orkney, where Amy Liptrot lives, right down to the very bottom down in Cornwall. And like counting, blinking everything. Counting how many hedgehogs there are. Counting how many uh, f- fritillaries there are. Counting how many birds and insects and spiders and all of that sort of stuff. My mum does some of this. My old dear goes out round the canals of Brentford. Um, then when she's finished doing that, she goes and counts some wildlife. <laughs> you got it there just before I did. <laughs> it is amazing. It sounds amazing. And I think a lot of these groups um, uh, owe a huge debt of um, gratitude to these countless volunteers like your mum. And I guess what they do is collate a huge amount of data which gives people clever sciencey people the ability to go well hang on a bit how are these species doing how is your fritillary how is your hedgehog and i mean the headline is most of them not that well yeah. some of them really really badly yeah so here are some facts so, oh, they surveyed 9,670 different species, and that's all like your wow. big ones. I know, it's a lot, isn't it? Birds, butterflies, plants, spiders. Beetles. Uh, beetles, all the other sorts of things like that, right? Did you see that gif of, like, all the beetles just scrolling through all the beautiful, beautiful beetles? Oh, it's beetle porn. What are you talking about, Oh, Don't worry about it. Somebody listening to this show will know what, exactly what I mean. Beetle porn. Mm, beetles are amazing beetles are works of art did you know that there are reckoned to be a more beetle species yet to be discovered that will oh hang on i can't remember this fact <laughs> you need a page of notes mate you need a page of beetle notes on it or maybe just a beetle fact. Oh, hang on hang on All right did you know that there are more beetle species as yet undiscovered than have been discovered they reckon I mean, obviously, they don't know. They don't know because they haven't discovered them yet. But they reckon there are more to be discovered than have been discovered. Right, look, shut up. Shut up and listen, right? I'm just doing some fact-wanging, right? So, facts. Oh, God. So, That's a horrible image. 9,000. Oh, do you know what dolly-waggling is? No. Dolly-waggling is puppetry. That's the that's the word for dolly, dolly waggling. waggling. That's the phrase that one, <laughs> one puppeter will use to another puppeter. Should we get together and do some dolly-waggling this weekend? Oh, you are awful. <laughs> 
shut up and listen, right? Stop talking about Dolly Rackham. I have shut up. I am listening. We've just made you do this section three times because your facts weren't facts. Right, well, I've got my facts facts now. I've got my facty bit of paper and I've taken the fact off it that wasn't a fact, right? So, 9,670 species in the UK. This is not a laughing matter. Stop laughing, right? Birds, butterflies, plants, spiders, and yes, beetles. Right, now, there's a thing you can do where you can check of those species you can check them against a thing called the red list and the red list is like a, a a way to tell if a species is endangered or not so it's like criteria that you apply right so they were able to okay. apply these criteria to 8000 of these animals i don't know why we'll have to talk to someone one day who knows why of those 8000 species 15% of them in the uk are either extinct already as in you know they just didn't find any like poor old amy driving around trying to find corn crakes out of a car she did find a couple or threatened with extinction 15% of all of the species ah, uh, that they surveyed, for argument's sake, threatened with extinction in Great Britain. That's really bad. And and what was the... Oh, sorry for jumping this on you. I'll give you a little bit of time to scan your facts. What was the percentage last time they did this report, Dave? Some. <laughs> More some or less some? Well, look, the trend... It's getting worse. Uh, I don't know what the percentage was, but it's getting worse is the point. And the UK, because they, they can do this, they can... There's a... One of the things doing this exercise allows you to do, mapping it against the criteria, is comparing to other countries, right? And okay. the UK is ranked out of 218 countries in the world that they assess. Where do you think the UK comes in terms of, like, how in what good a state is its biodiversity, where one would be the best and 218 would be the worst? Oh, God, this is going to be really depressing. Uh, I think our green and present pleasant land comes in at 162. Yeah, lower. What? Worse than no. That. Worse than that, Jim. 180? Worse. 200? Better. 190. Yeah, 189. There we are. We are 189th. We are Vauxhall Conference. We are relegated. We are shocking. And the trend is it's getting worse and worse over time. So, Dave, the question is... Why? Well, Ol, I'm pleased you asked me that. I thought you would be. Now... Is this mainly what's on your sheet of facts? Yes, Excellent. So, uh, basically, well, there's two things going on, right? Uh, I don't need my fact my fact wanging sheet for this. Two things going on. Fact wang number one: climate change is going Ooh. on. Boo hiss climate change. So it's a thing, despite what some people say. It is a thing, and what it's doing. What happens all if you are a bunny rabbit and you live in the north of England, and then suddenly you find that actually Scotland's a bit warmer than it used to be. What do you do? You go to Scotland. You do. Um, what happens if you're a more vulnerable, poor little sad bunny rabbit that lived there already? Uh, you get in the sea and swim to Orkney and then to Shetland and then to Greenland? Pretty much. So, yeah, climate change thing one. It's getting warmer, so species are moving further north. And that means uh, that the species that were there before are getting outcompeted, basically. And you're getting more of your big, scary, big rabbits are taking over where the little vulnerable rabbits lived. And I don't know why I'm oh, picking on rabbits God. in particular, but there you are. No, leave the rabbits alone. Or as the French say, uh, lapin. No, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Uh, and, 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 oh, France, this week... Bloody Sarkozy went and said, climate change, no, it's not a thing. Or the man aren't causing climate change, didn't he? So if you're a rabbit, move to France because there's no climate change there. 
the ex-president, next president, said. We really are jumping around all over the place here, aren't we? Think number two, oh, since you asked. What are we talking? Who are you? Where are we? What's going on? Think number two. Climate change is thing one, but the more significant thing going on is agriculture. And this is where we came in. Farming, right? So farming, 75% of the land in this country is farms. Do you know that? Or is like, or is in some way, you know, part of producing food? But basically, mostly farms. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. So, we talk about being an incredibly crowded island and there's no space for anyone who isn't, you know, born and bred white British, ear since bloody EDL. Uh, but actually, most of the country is. Uh, <laughs> You're looking at me as if I said something weird. No, we'll carry on. Uh, no, most of the country is farms. Wow. Yeah, and the rest, and, and as discussed, another couple of percent of it is golf courses. But yeah, it's farms. And farming has got, over the last 40 years, it has, basically there have been patterns that have emerged. Farming has got more and more intensive, particularly over the period. So not, they do this every few years. And it's not something that's really a massive issue right now, although we're going to come to that. But it is, uh, in general, more and more intensive. So more and more ringing, you know, as much as what, possible. What does that mean? What does intensive farming mean? Well, it basically means like, um, monocultures, great big fat monocultures of stuff where you've got fields full of one crop and you sort of intensively use pesticides and fertilizers and all of that sort of stuff and you're trying to wring out the maximum production that you possibly can from a field and then like if you do it right you'll wring out another year's worth as well you might get sort of two lots out of one field so intensifying intensifying Intensifying. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and that is basically bad news. If you've got like a farmer with a field of, I don't know, what a farmers grow, maize, right? And mm-hmm. you are a edgehog, what lives in a edge on the edge of the maze, <laughs> you might find you get your block knocked off by a combine harvester or you eat the maize and the maize is full of horrible stuff and you drop down Father, dead. You're out. He had to go. You mean he's dead? Yes. Dead as that squirrel. Which squirrel? (laughs) No, that squirrel. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. So that is what's going on with a lot of our wildlife, I presume, is it? That these very, very big, like you say, big fields of the same crop, which uh, are... uh, have huge quantities of pesticides poured on them or planted in the seed and then massive great big machinery and no wildflowers. Did you know, related to this, that I think something like 97% of Britain's wildflower meadows have been lost since the 1950s, which tells you a little bit about okay. why all the insects are knackered. I did not know that. Oh, Now, look, so we're going to talk about some babble in a minute that the NFU have said. I oh, want yeah, to- this is sustainable babble <laughs> of the week. Yeah. But I want to make something abundantly clear, right? which is that not all farmers are the same. And I want to be very, very, very clear about this, not least because on the Babble, this here podcast, we uh, run the risk of farmer bashing sometimes, right? And not all farmers are the same. And some farmers, in fact, the State of Nature report goes out of its way to talk about farmers that don't do it like that and where they've seen uh, species increase on their land and where, you know, you can point to success stories and more organic farming and, and that sort of thing. And it's not all the same. And some farmers really do care. So let's be clear about this, right? It's not all. 
all of them. Yes? Yes, that's fine. No, I do agree. I do agree. Yeah, but there is a big but, isn't there? But, but, but. There is a A lot of them are like this, as are the bloody NFU that represent them, sort of. Yeah, so when this was all put to them, basically, this fact that the thing that they do is destroying the hedgehog and the high brown fritillary and the uh, turtle dove and whatever else it is, all these things that are buggered, basically, um, NFU Vice President Guy Smith said this... Well, uh, since the early 1990s, in terms of inputs and in terms of numbers of livestock and area of crops grown, British agriculture has not intensified. In fact, it's the reverse. Therefore, it makes little sense to attribute cause and effect to the intensification of agriculture in the UK in the last quarter of a century when there hasn't been any. Is that true? That British agriculture has not intensified, that it's gone backwards? Well, I uh, I turn to the wisdom of a chap called Miles King on this. He's Miles King 10 on Twitter. He's very, 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 very good. And he said that uh, that's a lot of disingenuous horsey plop because, firstly, this particular state of nature actually doesn't talk about intensification at all. It says, like, historically, for the last 40 years, that's the thing that's been going on, intensification. But he says, actually, one of the main problems here that's happened is, is how farming has done has kind of changed. So intensification might have used to have meant you cover your field head to toe you spray the buggery out of it with all of these pesticides and herbicides and all that sort of thing Um, and that was what intensification used to look like it don't really look like that anymore and you actually uh, pulled me up on this a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about the bees do you remember yes and the neonicotinoids neonicotinoids which are what is a neonicotinoid oh Okay, uh, it is a pesticide, but not as you know it, because rather than being sprayed onto the crops, it is treated onto the seeds of the crops so that when the seeds turn into crops, it grows throughout all of the plant. And then anyone who eats the crop at any stage gets the pesticide, even if, you know, it doesn't matter if it's one day old, two days old, five days old, 50 days old. Very, very bad, and one of the reasons that the bees are in strife. Yeah, and this is your man Miles King's point. He goes, look, wait for wait, the amount of insecticides being used is less than it was 30 years ago. But that's because whereas before we used to liberally cover entire fields with shit, we now breed <laughs> the seeds to make their own shit. So like, there's very little actual kind of insecticides, insecticides being used, but uh, the, the effect is the same. In fact, worse, because it's far more sort of you know endemic and going through the whole thing. And anyway, the bigger point is this right what your man guy smith is basically saying is not our fault gov it's not us we ain't done it it's not us uh you know it's climate change or other things like you know the rabbits have probably got tired haven't they the hedgehogs are just you know uh take- just on an extended holiday they'll be yeah. back yeah they're taking advantage of um cheap flights to copenhagen yeah they've gone to copenhagen to tell everyone in denmark how brilliant the uk is it's like guys guys stop stop your your intensive agriculture is not ready. Come back to the UK and have a lovely time in our field. No, there's no pesticides here. No, it's absolutely fine. And you, That's what they've done. You know, the groups that are behind all this, there's 50 of them, and they are the big heavyweights of the environmental NGO world. They're not the radical guys. They're not the guys going out, like, you know, throwing petrol bombs through the windows of 
government buildings or things like that. These are major conservative with a small c, respectable organisations, right, who have been very careful in their choice of words and in their press release have basically said, we know not all farmers are like this and we know there has been some progress in some areas, but it's farming that's doing this. We are absolutely clear that farming is destroying the wildlife in the UK. And they've been doing this for so long. They've got 40 years worth of evidence to look at. So to sort of, for your man Guy Smith to kind of go, well, actually there hasn't been intensifications. That's just silly. When he knows that's silly, is silly. I'm not prepared to pursue my line of inquiry any further as I think this is getting too silly. Quite agree, quite agree. Silly, silly, silly. Right. Get on with it. All right, all right, all right, all right. I get it. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right, right, Dave. All right. right. So farming's bad. All right. Some farming. All right. Some farming's bad. Not all farmers are farmers. Uh, All farmers are farmers. No, no. There are farmers and then there are farmers. Farming mean farming. Farming means farming. And that, well, that is a lovely little link because it comes on to my next point, which is what do we do about it? And particularly, what do we do about it in the context of Brexit, which, as you know, means Brexit, Brexit, uh, when one of the major things that is up for discussion is how do we subsidise farming? Do we subsidise farming? Because at the moment, there is a glumphing amount of dosh that is collected from member states, sent to Europe, sent back to farmers um, in a form of farm subsidies, and that is all. Well, what's going to what's going to happen? What and can it be used as a force for good to try and sort out some of these problems that you were so beautifully and eloquently banging on about? Uh, yeah, but the thing is, that- thanks very much. <laughs> oh. No one's quite worked out how to do it yet, right? Um, So look, um, I've been banging on for ages and we've probably lost all our listeners and and you must be bored and I'm quite bored. So here's what we're going to do. We're going (laughs) to... Should we just check if anyone's still there? Are you you still there? Just give us a sign if you're still there. Um, Subsidies. We'll do this very quickly. And then what I think we'll do is we'll come back to it when it all takes a bit more shape. Basically, farms, about uh, £3 billion a year in the UK gets given in subsidies to farming, right? 70% of that is just given, yeah, I have some money. How much land you got? You got six lands, you can have six money, right? Basically how it works. (laughs) Um, The the rest of it, the 30%, some of that 30% is given to do green things. So like agroecology type subsidies. And that's better. Agroecology? Yeah, like doing green. I think that deserves a klaxon. It's not my fault. Agro- it's not my agro- fault. Agroecology. Well, it's a thing. Yeah, but you said it as if it's just a normal thing. You went, you know, things like agroecology. Okay. Okay, fair enough. What is... You're getting another klaxon for arguing. Stop it. Stop klaxoning me. <laughs> just, just, you know, what's agroecology, oh, Dave? No. Right. <laughs> you're getting a third klaxon for not knowing what the thing was that you used as jargon. Can I say something now? Are we you done with klaxon? Put the klaxon down. Yeah. It's down. It's running out of batteries. So the basic idea on the table from your greenie groups is stop subsidising uh, farms to do stuff that isn't green, basically. So the National Trust, who is like great big conservative friendly group, have said, get rid of all the subsidies that don't, that 70%, just get rid of them. What are we doing subsidising farms for, uh, for doing anything that isn't green, right? And obviously your ANF, you, your farmers, have kind of gone... Oh, we'd quite like those subsidies to continue, please. You know that three billion we currently get, mm. we we'd quite like to continue to get that if that's okay by you. Yeah. 
Time. This is a section of the show named after a senator in America called Jim Inhofe, who is a complete tosser uh, because he thinks climate change isn't real because there's still so, uh, still snow. So we named this section of the show after him, and he's got a corner into which this week we are putting some more Inhofs. Who are we putting in there, and what are we going to find out? Well, all we are putting in. Exxon Mobil again. Oh, yeah. lovely, 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 lovely Exxon Mobil, and they've been caught with their trousers down doing something very naughty in the UK. To a wombat? Not to a wombat. Go back and listen to episode fifty-nine for more on wombats. No, uh, doing something very naughty involving electric cars. Oh God, that sounds. I think it. Ooh, no, I'd, I think if you're going to do something very naughty with your trousers down, better to do it with a wombat than an electric car. <laughs> Would you like to know some more about it? Yes, yes, please. Yes, Good. let's talk to somebody who knows. Yes, because I don't. So um, we're going to talk to a lady named Kyla Mandel, who is the boss of a thing called D Smog, and they do all sorts of investigative digging stuff. And they've been and gone and found out some stuff. So we are joined by Kyla Mandel from a website called D-Smog. Hello, Kyla. Hi, thanks for having me. What is a D-Smog? Yeah, so it's a website and we focus on sort of more investigative news, looking into the misinformation, the lobbying, essentially the uh, behind the scenes influence that goes into uh, climate policy, um, whether that's, you know, trying to stop climate policy or delay um, and then also just, uh, you know, environmental issues that are of importance to people on the ground. So like whether that's fracking or in the U.S. pipelines, that kind of stuff. So it sounds like you have quite a lot of inhoffs in your site. <laughs> do you know what an inhoff is? Yes, I do. I do. Have you, have, have you met the actual inhoff? I have not, no, but the cl- I, I've seen his little action figure that recently came out. Oh, we loved that action figure. That's amazing. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to play the, uh, the Inhofe climate action figure music. <laughs> Inhofe McConnell. That's so good. That's so, so good. Um, so, Carla, we wanted to talk to you about this week's inhoffs, and this week's inhoffs are them beastly, awful, terrible, completely utter, nasty toe rags, Exxon Mobil, who have been in Inhoff Corner at least once before, and actually probably have their own parking space. Could you tell us what you have published, what you found out, what digging you have done about beastly, awful Exxon, please? Yeah. So, what I did is I. It's, it all started with a freedom of information request that I put into the Department for Transport. I was basically asking, what meetings have you had with in, oil companies? In the UK. In the UK yes, this is, yeah, sorry, in yeah. the UK. Looking at the UK government, what meetings have you had with oil companies talking about transport, but specifically the decarbonization of transport, green transport policies, electric vehicles, looking at that. And so what I got back was a bunch of documents which showed Exxon having several meetings with the UK government about green transport policies where Exxon was basically like, oh, 
petrol is going to be the main fuel, switching from petrol to renewables is not a cost-effective way to reduce emissions. Don't focus on transport. Focus on other sectors. Those will be more cost-efficient for like reducing your emissions. Yeah, for focus on like, otters or uh, <laughs> rabbits or anything, anything. Just, just, just <laughs> don't look at transport. Not at us. Don't look here. Uh, there's that's a horrible phrase that crops up everywhere, isn't it? Cost effective. Do you do you see that in a lot of your kind of um, investigations into lobbying by the the oil companies and co? Yeah, I think it's just a term that I mean, whether it's an oil company, I mean, or the government. I know the government likes to use that a lot as well when trying to sort of explain or justify why they're making certain policy decisions. So I think it's a a good little catchphrase that everyone likes to use. Um, I was looking at your your excellent article on all this and um, saw that one of the things Exxon were saying in this whole kind of, no, 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 no. It's not that we don't like electric vehicles. It's just that, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be cheap. Um, and they said battery electric vehicles are not commercially viable at a large scale. That's not true anymore really is it i mean you you say at the bottom of your own piece that there's been loads of electric car sales recently yeah so i think that the the growth in electric cars is i think it's going quite fast i mean i'm i'm not immensely well versed in all the statistics and the data around the specifics of this but i mean i do see that you know over the past five years there's been such a, a huge growth in electric cars on the road whether that's in britain or just globally um, I know there's predictions that it's going to get cheaper and there's going to be more. And so I think from Exxon's perspective, you sort of got two things. You got, oh, we need electric vehicles. The, the world is saying we need electric vehicles because we have to tackle climate change. This is how we're going to help reduce emissions, or at least one, one way to help reduce emissions. And then you see, oh, people are actually buying electric vehicles. This is becoming a thing. It's growing and it's becoming popular and possible and issues that you were you thought would be an issue with electric vehicles in terms of, oh, they can't drive very far, for example, those are getting resolved. And so we're solving the problems. And so then that threatens Exxon's business model because they're based on oil and want to sell you petrol fuel. So then it's that's why they're obviously lobbying against the increase of these types of transports. So is this is this news really? What's what's the newsworthy bit here? So obviously it's news insofar as you have you know you have discovered that an oil company is lobbying against a thing that will mean it doesn't sell so much oil. Um, is that is that the story? I mean, are Exxon doing anything that any other company wouldn't try to do in a similar sort of thing? So you know the people who make landline telephones are probably going in now to the department for telephones and saying, "Where well, you should need fewer mobile phones, please." Like they're probably saying, "Like hold on." If we if we keep making these long enough, hipsters will start buying them again. They'll be retro. <laughs> There's going to be a huge market. Just just hang in there. Um, so I guess what? How terrible is this really? Is it is it out of the ordinary terrible or just run of the mill Exxon terrible? <laughs> I guess those are two different levels of terrible. Um, I think what makes it, I guess, a news news and a, a a bigger issue is that. So first of all. Exxon, at least from the documents that I got, and I asked for a variety for a variety of companies. So what I got back showed that Exxon's really been the only one doing this, the only major oil company heavily lobbying, lobbying against electric vehicles and green transport policies. And it's been doing that since, at least there's, it's had three meetings with the government since the Paris Agreement was decided in Paris. So that's, that's a lot of lobbying just since January. So... 
there's that part of it. It sees what's happening, the direction the world is going with the Paris Agreement, and it's trying in mm. its way to stop it. And then also, it's part of a wider trend that we're starting to see because, so Exxon's not the only company, obviously, that's worried about the growth of electric vehicles. You've got, um, in the States, you've got, so you've got the Koch brothers, and yeah. they've, <laughs> they're have we, have, have we put them into in Off Corner yet? Oh. I don't think we have, actually. Yeah. Amazingly, they're still kind of hovering around at the door, greeting so who, guests. Who are the Koch brothers? Yeah, so they're, they're these two guys in, in the States, and they run Coke Industries, which is a very, very large private uh, oil company, essentially. But they also have so many different products. Um, yeah, so it's not just oil. But um, So they, what they're, they've most recently done is they are backing a campaign called Fuel, Fueling US Forward. So I guess Fueling Us Forward. Um, and part of that campaign is to undermine electric vehicles. And then you've also, I think recently there was that study that made headlines saying, oh, um, biofuels are worse for the climate than gasoline. And it turns out that that report was also backed by the American Petroleum Institute. So you're starting to see a lot more headlines about electric vehicles, both negatively and positively. So the growth in them, how much they can help with emissions, but then also the efforts that companies are doing to try and slow that growth. Do you think that it will work, this lobbying? Because, I mean, they're obviously very powerful, very well-funded. But it strikes me that unlike, you know, lobbying to stop wind turbines getting built by the government, this is really about what individuals are going to choose to do. And if electric cars turn out to be great, aren't individuals just going to want to buy them and, and, and drive, no pun intended, drive forward the market that way? Yeah, I think it's... There's a mix of it. Obviously, there is that individual part to it. I think part of it, though, is that you need infrastructure in order to support the electric cars, so like refueling points or uh, recharging points, um, and just generally in terms of encouraging investors to invest in that technology. You do need stronger signals from the government that that's the direction they're heading. Um, so if you have companies lobbying against it, it could slow that down or it could confuse things, so things just might generally slow down a lot. Um, and we've also seen recently a bunch of headlines saying that the UK is missing its targets for electric vehicles. It has targets for how many electric vehicles or the percentage or something, how much we should be having. It's falling behind in that, MPs are warning. Um, and then also MPs recently have been warning that generally the UK is behind on its climate targets mm. because so you, you're trying to drop emissions in electricity, heat and transport. And in the transport sector, again, there, we're just not where we need to be in order to have the emission reductions that we're supposed to have. I've got a final question, which is about just the scale to which Exxon are evil. Because, <laughs> I mean, they, they have got some cheek, haven't they? Given what we've learned, I mean, you, you will be able to, to explain much better than I about the the kind of Exxon new expose that Bill McKibben and 350.org um, uh, have been publicising for a while. You know, this idea that for decades they've known the science of, of, of the climate and, and have been actively misinforming people. Then the climate talks come about and it's them that go in straight afterwards and say, right, oh, transport's looking like it might green up now, so we better stop that. How, what? How? How is it a thing? How is it okay? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's not okay, is it? <laughs> not okay. Naughty Exxon. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's been tons of research over the past year or so showing just how much Exxon knew. So, since the late 70s, they've had no doubt that CO2 is a harmful pollutant. And yet, despite knowing that, it's gone on and funded all this misinformation and delaying climate action, even though it knew its product was harmful. Kyla, thank you so much for your time um, and your insights and all your digging and all of that sort of thing. How can people uh, get in touch with you or find out more about Dsmog or what? Sure. So you can come to our website, which is just dsmog.uk, so D-E-S-M-O-G.uk, or you can email me at editor at dsmog.uk or Mm -hmm. find us on Twitter. What's your Twitter thingy? So my Twitter is my full name, K-Y-L-A-M-A-N-D-E-L. And DSmogs is just DSmog. <laughs> UK, sorry. Reasons to be cheerful. So, reasons to be cheerful. Oh, God. Oh, I'm so cheerful. This I will not have my cheer diminished. This week, the reason to be cheerful is that in episode 59, Dave said this probably right and I, I will endorse your prediction and if this government does ban micropedes in cosmetic products I will go from here to Crystal Palace Park which is just around the corner wearing a QPR shirt and nothing on my bottom half and I will eat grass until I'm sick I did say that that is a and thing. that alone, that is, that alone is quite a nice thing to be cheerful about but even better than that is that a few weeks later the government said alright just for Dave, we'll ban them. The government are going to ban microbeads. Dave, take your trousers down, head out to Crystal Palace, put your Kupiah shirt on, eat grass till you puke. <laughs> I don't... Uh, right. Um, well, I'm not doing it yet um, because... I can see. I get, because I'm recording a podcast you with not you. Doing the the Wi-Fi signal in Crystal Palace Park is terrible, right? I, I will do that. If now you remember, you, you yourself put gave me a massive get out on this, right? And you said, I bet what they do, you said, if they ban microbeads. And actually, what have they said? They're not banning microbeads yet, are they? Well, they're going to. No, they what said have they said? <laughs> they said they're consulting, consulting. on banning microbeads. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, Which, this is know, like, but the, but, no, hang on, shut up. You shut up and listen. <laughs> now, so tell me one time when the government, let alone this government, has gone, here's a consultation on a thing we want to do. And then people have responded to it. And then they've gone, all right, fine, we won't do it. That's not how consultations work. Yes, uh, I can tell you exactly one of those when they consulted on Sorry, selling we have off got no more time. On <laughs> forests, and they didn't sell the forests off, did they? Um, right. Um, they're just consulting on it. That's like being in the pub and me asking anyone, would you like a beer? And 25 people saying, yes, I would. And all of those 25 <laughs> people expect me to buy them a beer, right? Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Well, it definitely doesn't mean it's going to happen. And you yourself gave me this get out clause is that they won't put into it a million trillion exemptions, which makes the thing pointless. Right. So if and when they do bring in this ban on cos- on, on microbeads in cosmetic products, even when that happens, and if with an open mind and with Arabella as my witness, we judge that there are not so many exemptions that it's pointless, I will go to Crystal Palace Park with a QPR shirt on and nothing on my bottom half and eat grass until I'm sick. But until then, you're going to have to wait.
Right, that is just about it for Sustainer Babble 62. Thank you very much, Dave, for your exceptionally knowledgeable babbling and um, all-round excellence. Thank you all for your splendiferous babbling and all. And thank you to Carla Mandel for telling us all about ExxonMobil and why they are terrible, awful people. Thank you to Dickie Moore, too, for the music What Starts and Ends and Intertwinkles This Here Podcast. Thanks, Dickie. And next week, we've got another treat for you, fresh from our interview with the lovely Amy Liptrot, who wrote the lovely book, The Outrun. We're going to be interviewing the equally lovely Louise Gray, who has got a very new book out all about eating meat, what she killed. It's amazing. It's a great interview and you should tune in and listen. It's also quite fun if you want to see what happens when uh, a vegan conducts an interview like that as well. So uh, that'll <laughs> be good. Uh, you can get in touch with us. Find us on Twitter at The Babble Wagon. Drop us an email uh, to hello at sustainababble.fish or find us on Facebook. Just search Sustainababble and do leave us a review and a little rating on whatever your podcast medium of choice is. All right see you very soon or will we because we should say at this point that we're going to have one of our little breaks uh, shortly after we have released that episode with Louise so we will be back later in the autumn but there will be a little period of time that is babble free and usually when we go away terrible things happen so if you could all listeners if you could try very very hard to stop the entire fabric of the environment being unravelled and sold off while we're away (laughs) that'd be great alright Dave Sleep well. Bye.